Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 21 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss which Premier League uh, club's TV channel is now available in the United States, why MLS TV ratings are struggling and what the solutions are to fix it, important news for AT&T U-verse customers, and much, much more, including a ton of questions and feedback from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined once again by Kartik Krishnaya. Kartik, it was good to see, see you last night at the uh, Garage Soccer event. Uh, we were playing a little bit of uh, Sabutio in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, it was great to make uh, my debut. Uh, didn't go quite well, lost my one match 3-0, but uh, got the Fort Lauderdale Strikers back up and riding now as a table soccer, garage soccer uh, club. Yeah, and for me, my Swansea City uh, Sabutio team was doing much, much better than, than the, the real-life team, but we'll get into, into that a little bit later. So, Kartik, um, what have you been watching this past week? Well, I, I was doing a little bit of traveling, so I didn't get to watch as much football as I wanted to, but uh, was able to see the Arsenal-Man City game on uh, Sunday. actually saw Chelsea-Crystal uh, Palace. Uh, was amazed by that, much of that on, uh, uh, on Saturday. Uh, football focus on the BBC, which I've started watching again. I, I think we'll talk about that a little bit more uh, as the weeks go on. Uh, but most significantly, ESPN FC this week had, had Stuart Robson in the studio. I'll get back to that in a minute, but just going through my list of, of things I watched uh, uh, behind the badge, the West Bromwich Albion series, uh, the Jacksonville Edmonton game in NASL on Sunday, uh, Hoffenheim and Byron, which was a great game, and uh, Hoffenheim sitting now in a Champions League position, sitting in third, the potentially could chase down Red Bull Leipzig for second in the Bundesliga, although uh, Leipzig uh, got, got a 3-0 win on Wednesday, so they put some space between themselves and, and third, uh, sitting in second. And then, of course, all the midweek Premier League action. The um, the issue I'm having with midweek Premier League action, Chris, and I'd like to, uh, to get your sense on this, is I, um, I like to go back and watch games on DVR. If I, 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 I will DVR if there is a game on NBC and NBCSN. Uh, uh, sorry, NBCSN and CNBC. I'll, I'll DVR both those games. I will probably DVR a Bundesliga game at the same time and a, a match that is playing on um, one of the extra time channels. I will then uh, use match of the day as my reference point to see what I missed from the other games. 
So I'm watching more than just goals from every Premier League game for the most part. In these midweek fixture dates, I can only watch what's on, basically, because there's no match of the day. It's kind of rapid fire. Time is more limited during the week. So uh, I was really affected adversely by the by um, NBC's decision. I think it was because they had six games, uh, five five additional games going on at once. They didn't have the use of CNBC because it was a weekday and when the stock market was open to not air goal rush on Wednesday, mm-hmm. which uh, took away even that element from my viewing. Because that's that's another element of my viewing is to, is to watch goal rush this season with it. Uh, being featured by NBC. So I I feel like I did try and watch a lot of Swansea Spurs and of Chelsea Man City. I I feel as if I didn't get the the, the whole gist of what happened Tuesday and Wednesday, particularly Wednesday, that I normally would from a Saturday or Sunday in the Premier League. Same thing for the Bundesliga. As I said, I watched Hoffenheim, uh, Bayern. I saw the rest of the scores. I um, I thank Fox Soccer for uploading uh, YouTube highlights, but their goal highlights, basically, they're, they're, they're nothing more than that. So... It's um, it's difficult with midweek fixtures. And then talk, speak about La Liga. I mean, I wanted to watch the Villa in Barcelona. I didn't get to watch a minute of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. I I understand midweek fixture dates, and it's kind of a relief in a way because uh, you, you you get this rapid fire, and then the table changes, right? So you get through a match day quickly. But then the flip side is you don't get to see as much soccer. Yeah, the, the the feeling I got too was I, I missed out this week, and uh, for for me personally, and, and probably a lot of listeners too, if your team was playing, you probably watched your team, and uh, maybe like a little bit, maybe if it started a little yeah. bit later, you watched maybe fifteen minutes of the game that came before it, and then you mean if the game started a little bit later, you maybe watched fifteen minutes at the end. But for me personally, I, I missed it. I missed out. I missed out on uh, all the games really, in terms of other than the Swansea Spurs game. And um, and then for the rest of the games, I kind of just caught up in terms of just at least seeing the headlines or just reading about the stories and felt, felt yeah, I'm sure in the Chelsea-Man City game, I missed that one. I'm sure those, I mean, every single game at this point matters, um, really, no matter what league it is, if it's La Liga, Bundesliga, uh, Premier League, etc. And, and goal, goal rush, I wonder, though, too, Kartik, it, it might be one of those things that they just kind of just routinely scheduled to do on a Saturday show and maybe midweek, maybe perhaps they don't have um, that set up. So it may have been that it wasn't available from um, Premier League Productions. Uh, that I'm not 100% sure on, but um, it sure would have been great. They, well, they had, it, I, they had it on, um, on Tuesday, though. Ah, okay, okay. So yeah, and actually, there were more matches on Wednesday than there were on Tuesday. So if you're gonna, yeah, I think they rush... ran out of bandwidth. I think they ran out of bandwidth. That's the point because they've never okay. had a point where they had to show five matches uh, on extra time at the same time this season because yep. uh, they didn't have the availability of CNBC or USA for a second game, uh, a second uh, mainline channel game. So they had the one game on NBCSN, and then they had to stick five games at the same time slot on. Um, uh, goals, uh, excuse me, on extra time, yeah. which I, I guess limited your ability to show goal zone. Uh, whatever the case, it was disappointing for me because I've become, um, I mean, when they first uh, gave us goal, uh, goal, uh, goal zone at the beginning of the season, I didn't bother with it. But then as the season went on and my time became more crunched and I was, uh, the season drags a little bit. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'm starting with goal zone and then going to a game based on uh, when they cut in and which game looks interesting. So yep. uh, not having it was, uh, was made me a bit of a fish out of water on Wednesday. 
Yeah, and that's the thing, though, too. I mean, match of the day in England, as far as the BBC goes, I mean, it's, you can count, like, like, basically on clockwork, okay, every Saturday night, it's always going to be match of the day at the same time every single week. And then match of the day two, which is on the Sunday, which has the highlights of the Sunday programs from the BBC, well, broadcast on the BBC. Um, again, like clockwork, usually the same time. Uh, midweek, they probably do the same thing, too, where they have a highlights package. And it's one of those things that's kind of um, everyone knows to tune in at that particular time to watch it. It's it's different in England because they don't televise uh, the majority of these games, especially the midweek games. But um, that's one of the, the challenges I think we've talked about in the past, Kartik, with goal zone is sometimes is that, uh, or, or even match of the day, the NBC version is that it's at random, seems to be at random times. It's not always at the same time or same channel. Uh, so it's hard to get into that rhythm of, of watching it. But... Um, I guess in a way, though, Kartik, we're, we're a little bit spoiled in that um, all these games are available. I mean, we could always go back into NBC Sports app and catch the highlights there. Um, that's one one way. Um, most of these games, of course, live were on the Premier League Extra Time channel, which most of us, a lot of us don't get. So we have to kind of watch it live on NBC Sports. Yeah, it, it wasn't the greatest experience, but um, we made it through. <laughs> Yeah, and then as far as Fox was concerned, I think midweek with uh, Bundesliga, they were um, they they did show games on FS1. I give them credit for that because sometimes that's an issue. Although midweek, it's never really an issue, right? right. But they there wasn't the sort of wraparound coverage that Fox has now tried with the Bundesliga again midweek. I think made it a little bit difficult, uh, but they they did the best they could. BN had a uh, maybe the biggest game, I, I guess Man City, Chelsea uh, was the co-biggest game of the week, of the midweek along with Barcelona, Sevilla. Sevilla is falling like a rock. Uh, I wasn't able to watch any of that game. Uh, so that that was unfortunate. And then Hoffenheim Bayern was obviously a big game on Fox. Oh, and you also had Napoli and uh, Juventus. Juve. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the second Copa leg. Italia. Right. Right. Exactly. Right. On, on Gold TV for those who get still get Gold TV, which I don't think are many, uh, but Gold TV, unlike uh, – BN does send their highlights to uh, other other stations uh, to, to show the show the clips of the game. Now, I wanted to get back to before we get a reading on what you watched this week, Chris, get back to Stuart Robson being on ESPN FC. So uh, an Arsenal won on Wednesday. So that took a little bit of wind out of the sails. But uh, Robson is in studio in Bristol this week. Now, I don't I, I'm not quite sure. Maybe we should ask an ESPN exec why uh, from time to time uh, Robbo pops up in Bristol. When we know when we're used to hearing him on on the feed for games from uh, from England from Premier League games and uh, and uh, some weeks he shows up in in Bristol in the U.S. in Connecticut and we don't hear him on any Premier League broadcast that week not not surprisingly because he's not in Britain uh, but it's just random weeks this isn't an international break last week was an international break uh, or the previous week but he wasn't here. Uh, so you could understand if he's coming over to do a game or two with John Champion, European qualifier, with Ian Dark, that they're calling off monitors. Uh, but um, he's, in, he's, he's been on all three shows uh, as we record on Thursday morning, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of ESPN FC in studio this week. And um, it has uh, made the talk about Arsene Wenger kind of off the charts, right? Because um, Robbo, uh, Robson says at one point on Monday that, that – uh, Arsene Wenger is basically a dictator. When the subject of Steve Bold, who we know Robson is close with, came up, I think Craig Burley brought it up, or Shaka Hislop, basically says, look, I mean, he's just collecting a paycheck at this point. Maybe he should be faulted for that. And take collecting a paycheck, not speaking out, 
But Wenger is basically a dictator. You can't do anything at the club. You can't uh, you can't challenge his ways. You can't change his ways. And uh, he's under the impression that um, Arsenal will um, will fall out of the top four. But and this was this is a good conversation. This will then give Wenger the license to say, hey, um, we're not in Champions League. I can challenge for a title next year. Because of um, the, the benefit we've seen uh, Chelsea and Leicester have, and, and uh, actually I would even go back to 2014, go back four seasons now to when Liverpool challenged Manchester City for the title and fell just short. They didn't have any European obligations. Uh, now, of course, Arsenal would have Europa League, presumably, if they finished fifth. If they finished sixth, uh, it depends on who won the League Cup. Well, it was, uh, it was Man, Man uh, United, so sixth will get into the, um, into the Champions League. Uh, sorry, to the Europa League, but they, they may just not take Europa League very seriously. Or he could say, this is an opportunity for me to win another trophy. So there is a way Wenger will spin it, and Robson is under the impression Wenger is, is in. He, he, he signed another contract, or he's agreed to another contract, and it's done. And um, there there's was a lot of discussion from Craig Burley about what he perceives as kind of the... Um, the um, softness of Arsenal's supporters base that no more than a thousand or 2000 fans really want to come out and challenge um, a Wenger and challenge the club in a way that you would see, uh, you think about some of the uh, uh, previous fan. Yeah. Liverpool fans, the way they would organize Leeds fans, the way they would organize nothing like that. So um, I think the takeaway from this is that um, they're resigned to a, uh, to, to another year or two of, of Wenger. Uh, one last uh, uh, note I would make to tie a bow on this. Stuart Robson, I think, is one of the best uh, f- football co-commentators around, one of the best analysts of the sport. Uh, you and I had him high on our list when we did those lists a few months ago. I wonder, though, what Robson would do if Wenger were actually gone and out of the game. <laughs> what his stick would be. Right, right. Yeah, he, he would have nothing to talk about. Yeah. But, but, but that's the thing, though, too. I mean, it's really kind of a takeaway for ESPN FC on ESPN to have Stuart Robson in the first place, to have somebody who's I mean, a former Arsenal player, but somebody who has a lot of insights oh, with the club. Oh, one other, one other thing he said, and this is very important, and you can think of certain reporters uh, uh, when he says this. He said that there were reporters in England that love Wenger because Wenger gives them more access. It gives them these little crumbs of stories than kind of the new school managers who do things in a much more kind of egalitarian way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wenger being an old school football man, old, uh, old British football, you know, was this very close shop with reporters. Right. There are a couple of those reporters and I, I can think of them offhand. I'm not going to name them on air, but uh, that get, uh, little bits and drabs from Wenger that they don't get from other managers. And Antonio Conte or Pep Guardiola is not going to call them in and give them the same access that Wenger gives these guys based on history and, and precedent. And the other thing I've noticed, I think I've talked about this on the show, um, that goes along with this is that Wenger goes to the Middle East every couple of weeks to do an interview with Richard Keyes, yep. um, another old school, old time British uh, soccer journalist. So, Wenger's relationship with the old guard of the press, which you see come out in reports because there's this sympathy for Arsene Wenger, which Craig Burley talks about a lot, that you don't see for other managers coming from the media, um, from the media in Britain. I don't know about the rest of the continent, but in, in Britain in particular. Um, it makes sense based on what Robson is saying, because Robson's saying he just gives them access and stories that other managers don't give them. So 
um, you bring in a younger new school manager, that era is gone even for these reporters. So I, I thought that was pretty telling and it was pretty um, it was pretty surprising he would call that out publicly. Now, he didn't yeah. mention specific reporters, but I think we, we know who he's talking about, which which specific reporters he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. to me, it's, it's a little bit inside baseball, which which is interesting because uh, you've got Wenger, who, to me, essentially, when he's doing that, he's play, playing the media. He knows, okay, what to say, and you know, he knows the people that are going to ask the softball questions, that are going to sit down with him, give him the time, not ask those hard questions, um, and really have kind of like, like a a pleasant conversation, kind of just a relationship, essentially. Um, and then you've got the journalists or the, I mean, the Richard Keys of the world who will love to have him on and, and to, to spend an hour. And, and actually, Wenger did a lot of the uh, the World Cup coverage, actually, for uh, BN Sports uh, out of Doha. And um, I, think, I think he was on BN Sports. I mean, not not in the Miami office, but we, we got some um, interviews kind of with uh, Wenger on the couch during the World Cup the last time. so Yeah, and we, and we get a bunch now. I mean, uh, Keyes uh, has Wenger, and, and, and they'll, they'll openly brag about it. Well, we had Arsene Wenger here in the Middle East. They don't get other Premier League managers to do this. I mean, there's never right. uh, Keyes and Gray saying, hey, we've got, a, we, we've got Tony Pulis here in the Middle East or Antonio Conte. Well, Pulis is more of an old-school guy, but maybe he's, uh, uh, he's not that accessible to the media the way Wenger is, or to certain media, I should say. So that goes back to the whole premise from Robson, and... Um, I guess it could be interpreted, Chris, that a lot of those uh, people in the written and broadcast press are protecting Wenger at this point when Arsenal yeah. is, um, is, is very likely, I shouldn't say very likely, but highly likely that they will fall, finally fall out of the top four. Yeah, And, 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 they're, and they're not going to finish ahead of Tottenham this year, by the way, unless something radically changes. Right. And that's a big deal for that supporter space. And, and at the end of this month, I think it was, what, April 30th, around about then, we've got the uh, the game between Arsenal and Spurs. And at that point, you mean Spurs may have well and truly uh, finished above Arsenal. And, and you can just imagine the um, the uproar in that game if if Arsenal loses that match on, on top of everything else. So, Kartik, I'm just going to jump into some of the, the, the games I watched too this week too, and then feel free to jump into. We, we can always go back to some of the ones that you, you watched too. Um, it was a, a crazy week for me in terms of my daughter. So she plays middle school soccer and travel soccer, and it's like two practices a day, and then usually like like one or two games a weekend. So it's been nonstop soccer, uh, which is good, but it uh, it kind of cuts into some of my soccer watching. But I did get to watch um, the first half of uh, Hertha Berlin against uh, Hoffenheim on last Friday, and. Uh, Keith Costigan was, was commentating. I think Keith does a great job. He's come a long way, um, and he's he was alongside uh, Eric Winalda with a co-com. And really enjoyed it, and I thought that uh, Costigan, I think to me, has found his calling. I mean, his calling is, is as a commentator. Yes, he can do interviews and other things, but uh, I think he's really kind of uh, found a firm footing as, as a commentator that does a great job. No complaints about him at all. Um, the Liverpool Everton match on Saturday morning. I watched this one. Uh, what I what I thought was interesting, Kartik, was that in about three minutes during halftime, Robbie Earl and Carl Martino give some excellent, as as usual, but excellent uh, tactical an- analysis. And this one, they focused on how Everton's formation was kind of playing into Liverpool's hands, and how is opening up space for Coutinho and uh, Sadio uh, Mane to exploit but it was really clear concise and informative 
And to me, in those three minutes, those two guys did a much better job of analysis than, than Fox Sports could do with 30 minutes of pregame. Uh, and it was just enlightening just, just to hear them just, um, I mean, they were at the, at the top of the game in terms of the analysis. And I, I really, really enjoyed that. And I think sometimes we overlook, well, on this show we don't, we talk about them. But I just thought I'd mention that, what a great job they did uh, with the analysis uh, again and again. And then uh, I watched uh, Chelsea against Palace. I couldn't believe this one in terms of uh, just that Chelsea couldn't score in this one. And Palace played extraordinarily well. But for me as a Swansea fan too, hoping that Crystal Palace wouldn't get three points, this was a really uh, tough game to watch in terms of just seeing Chelsea miss chance after chance. I think they had 24 shots on goal and got that solitary goal that they got. And, and you know, Palace had, had two uh, chances back. Um, then I watched the Frankfurt against Gladbach game on Saturday, which is the, the afternoon game, our time. And um, to me, it was interesting because we had uh, Derek Gray doing the commentary in this one with uh, Kevin Gallagher. And I think Fox Sports needs to do a better job of, of kind of actually playing up the, the Derek Gray role. It just seems to be kind of like a, an afterthought, like, oh, and like leading into the, to the game. And commentators today are you mean, Derek Gray and Kevin Gallagher. To me, I would be shouting that from the rooftops, using social media, just basically kind of playing that up as far as having the, the ability to, from time to time, have him be the commentator on games, courtesy of BT Sports uh, feed from England. But ne nevertheless, I think that's something that Fox really doesn't really either care about or, or uh, realize, but how many people actually enjoy Derek Ray, which, which I'm definitely one of those too. Uh, yeah, I think on that, uh, this is a maybe a disconnect for Fox in terms of having people who are guiding soccer broadcasts who don't have the kind of history or understanding of the evolution of the sport in this country. Because Derek Ray is still an attraction to so many fans, long-term fans of the sport in this country. He's still one of the best in the business, if not the best in the business. And I would, I would be shouting from the mountains if I had him on my net. That's that's my opinion, and I think I speak for a lot of people in the game in this country. It's not just an opinion you and I have. I think it's an opinion a lot of people have, but they just they just seem unaware of that. Yeah, and, and Fox, I mean, actually, a lot of the broadcasters, too, Fox especially, I mean, most of the executives are not soccer fans. Most of these executives know very little about soccer. So they're relying sometimes on, on the people beneath them to, to be able to kind of uh, raise up uh, ideas or questions or topics or whatever it may be. Uh, and sometimes there's that gap where the people below executives don't want to kind of you mean, shake the tree too much because they don't want to be seen as kind of a troublemaker or somebody that's always you know, opinionated or whatever. And the people at the top are the ones with the power that don't have the soccer knowledge. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's, that's corporate, uh, the corporate world for you. I did watch um, probably like the last 20 minutes of uh, O Clasico, which is the um, top flight uh, Portuguese game between uh, Benfica and Porto and this was on Benfica TV on Saturday and that was um, through Fubo so I was watching that one live the last 20 minutes or so it was in Portuguese the commentary which didn't bother me but uh, it was an enjoyable game it ended 1-1 it was a little bit anticlimactic at the end but um, both uh, I think I think Benfica still in first place with Porto in second but uh, I always enjoy watching watching those big games too just because the uh, the atmosphere um, and the crowd is always uh, electric. Uh, I watched, um, I think Saturday night, I think it was, it was the Tampa Bay Rowdies against uh, Toronto FC 2. Uh, they're a B team on uh, on YouTube, Kartik. And um, the atmosphere was good. Uh, the crowd seemed uh, pretty pretty full, about 4,300 people there. 
the camera angles, I, I, I thought were great. Um, the production by USL was impressive too. Uh, it looked, I mean, no, no, no problems buffering. It looked to be a quality broadcast. Um, the announcers, not so much. I wasn't uh, too impressed by the announcers they had. I'm not sure who they were, but uh, the, the two guys for that particular broadcast. But uh, still, it was good to watch some USL soccer. And with it being on YouTube, it's, it's pretty accessible. Yeah, I, I think USL production is a big, big deal. I've talked about this time and again at the lower division level. It's one of the biggest um, biggest benchmarks, I think, biggest uh, developments in lower division soccer in the United States in a long time because it's going to centralize the broadcasting for for the league. It's going to reduce uh, through the years. Now, incrementally, this season it costs teams more because there's setup costs involved, but it's going to reduce the cost of uh, broadcast and broadcast talent for clubs that struggling to make ends meet. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've worked in at the lower division, quote, minor league level in the United States for uh, for five or six years now, and uh, or more than that. And this this is one of the biggest single budget items that uh, fans on the outside don't quite get. And they'll complain about buffering. They'll complain about streaming. They'll complain about announcers. And they don't understand that with the lack of revenue you have at the lower division level and the inability to sell your TV contract. Because TV revenue is a great driver of... Um, of what you see from the Premier League and what you see from leagues around the world. And it's, we're going to get to Major League Soccer, who's not quite generating the TV revenue and TV interest that they need to later in the show. But uh, this is very difficult. And I can, I can speak for one lower division team I've worked for recently where uh, they spent almost a million dollars on uh, TV production and, um, and everything involved with doing the TV broadcast, buying time on a local channel, et cetera, in one season – and we're able to offset that only with about 50000 in sponsorship revenue to pay for the broadcast. So it's very expensive, and USL is doing a, a yeoman's thing by having uh, USL Productions. That having been said, and I, and I reported this on Twitter the other day, I've heard from multiple front office members of USL clubs, various USL clubs who were not satisfied with the return on their investment for the first two weeks of the USL season. I'm sure USL internally is working to improve this, but there have been some production glitches and they have um, not been happy with the um, level of the commentary, quite frankly. And, and I, and I pain to say that because I have a, a lot of friends, they do the USL productions out of Fort Lauderdale. So I have a lot of friends and uh, professional colleagues that are involved in, in, in the, in the broadcast, but there's been uh, concerns about lack of knowledge of local, local games, uh, local teams, lack of general kind of overall knowledge of us soccer. And then uh, there has also been the, um, the complaints and we'll get to this in the MLS section again from fans that, and I, and I should mention this fans of minor league soccer, lower division soccer in the U S are probably more likely to be fans of the premier league and La Liga and Bundesliga and whatever else than MLS fans. And I think most MLS fans or, or about half the MLS fans do watch those European leagues. You, um, you have to be a hardcore soccer fan to watch minor league soccer in the United States. And it's probably because there's a team in your town and you became a fan because you were a fan of, uh, some premier league club or La Liga club. So, or Mexican league club, La Liga MX club. So, um, the level of announcing, I think, is, is going to be more heavily scrutinized by fans of USL because they're used to listening to a Martin Tyler or a John Champion or a Derek Ray or whoever else call games uh, on a weekly basis. And they're not um, satisfied with what they've heard the first two weeks. And, I, and that's spread into the club level. So uh, that's just a little little note on USL Productions. We'll keep updating our listeners uh, and readers as the season wears on on that. 
on Sunday, Sunday morning, early, bright and early, I watched uh, Swansea against Middlesbrough. This is a game that uh, both teams really had to win this one to really kind of get out of the relegation zone, or at least like, give them some chances of getting out of the relegation zone. Ended in a nil-nil tie. And, and for me, this one, Kartik, um, it, it basically, I mean, the biggest difference in this one was uh, the, the lack of uh, Fernando uh, Lorente, who was injured, uh, yeah, injured his ankle. But there were so many crosses going into the box, but there was just no tall man right in the box there to, to boot it in or head it in. And that kind of really uh, screwed up Swansea's plan there too. But it's really frustrating in that one because that's the one that, you know, Swansea win that one and it's still a tight race, but still got a ways to go. We'll see. Um, man United against Everton. This one, the pregame card. I'm not sure if you caught this or not, but um, the interesting thing out of this one was that Carl uh, Martino and Robbie Earl did a short segment and it spoke out about the poor handling of the David Moyes um, incident that happened um, post um, pregame after post match yes. during an interview scored off off camera and their take on it on it uh, during the segment was that uh, Moyes really should have got fined by the club and uh, the way that the club handled this was uh, was poor and uh, it was an interesting short segment and um, also discussed about the, the the role of women in sports, and I thought it was interesting that uh, that uh, NBC brought this up. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting that Martino mentioned that, um, and and I'm sure he cleared this with Rebecca Lowe before they went on air. That basically she had shared her experiences with him, uh, and the difficulty of being a female journalist covering sports, uh, both in the United Kingdom and the United States, and and how that uh, impacts how you. Um, how, how you view incidents like this Moist incident, which um, was uh, a, a, the thing that I, I, and I agree with Martino. I agree with 99% of what Martino says. I think we've, we've talked about this before on, on this program uh, over and over again. But I think the most important point he made about this whole thing was the first comment, which everyone is focusing on, that's bad, but that could have been uh, just this flipping comment, I'm going to slap you type of thing, joking. Right. But then it's the second thing he said, you do, you better be careful coming. I, I can't remember. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, you better be careful coming in here again, especially as a woman, something like that. That really, really, um, I think, got should have gotten him in trouble. And this is a club, Sunderland, that has had um, an issue with playing a guy that had um, that was going to plead guilty to, to rape charges in Adam Johnson or sexual assault charges, one or the other. Um, this is a club that then had a, a, a chief executive who happened to be a woman who, who tried to cover that up and had to resign. This is a club that has had uh, numerous other issues uh, off the pitch and somehow has maintained its Premier League status with great escapes each and every year. Um, there is something really rotten at that club. Um, and maybe it's the pressure of the constant relegation battles. Maybe it's the pressure of being in the Northeast, which is a part of the country with exceedingly passionate football fans. Uh, but really kind of if you talk to people from other parts of the country, there's a um, there's stigma about that part of uh, the country, that corner of the country, Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, Durham, that area that um, that brings out the worst players and people who are kind of, quote, stuck there. Uh, because it's it's so isolated from the rest of the country. Whatever the case, uh, it seems like we have something involving Sunderland, which is controversial every year, right before they charge out, and and we we forget about it because they escape um, and and uh, stay in the Premier League. But this year, it appears like they're not going to make that great escape, and um, 
this is going to be yet another stain on that that football club. Yeah, Gus Poyet, uh, the former Sunderland manager to Kartik, uh, you were mentioning rotten to the core. His quotes, I think it was last year or the year before, was uh, there's something inside Sunderland at its very core that needs changing. And uh, maybe maybe it's relegation. Maybe that, maybe that uh, helps kind of uh, change change something at the club where they come back uh, bigger, better, and stronger because they've got definitely got a great fan base. Kartik, in terms of um, the games you watched this week, I, I, I know you went through them. Any, any other ones that you wanted to mention, or any, um, any any other things that we missed out on? No, I think uh, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, I, I, I guess there's also been uh, this week a lot of. Um, a lot of coverage of, um, of, of Wenger, of Chelsea, just kind of the side coverage of, uh, of Liverpool with Mane getting hurt in of Mourinho and, and yet two more draws at home for United. So uh, there's been a lot of kind of side supplementary coverage, but nothing really um, that, that, that stands out. And for listeners, and for me included, Kartik, so Football Focus on the BBC, so are you watching that through BBC World? How are you watching yes. that? Okay. Yes, through BBC World Service or BBC World News. And it's, uh, it, I started watching it two weeks ago. Again, I didn't realize they were still offering it in the States or that they were offering it on BBC World News. And it's, um, they do some very, very good kind of, in-depth features, Claude Puel this week, for example, on uh, on managers and players uh, in the Premier League and have a very kind of civilized, well, we'll say BBC-like discussion about these these topics. And it's a welcome departure from the kind of shout shows and the tone you have on, on uh, other channels. Uh, one more note, I, uh, NBC obviously is going abroad, uh, going back to England in a couple of weeks, and I guess that's when we will see Ravi Musto again. Uh, he's been over there for, for family reasons, we're told. But it's been, um, what, about five or six weeks now of, of Musto and Earl, uh, of, sorry, of, uh, of Earl and uh, Martino well, straight? Well, well Kartik, I'll, I'll let you know something. Um, Robbie Musto was actually in Jupiter, Florida, just in, in, ah. on vacation. So he posted some pictures uh, on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. So he's, he's been in South Florida hanging out and just relaxing. So probably just some well-deserved R&R time. Yeah, he's in, he's in our neck of the woods. Wow, okay. So I thought he was uh, over in the UK. So we've gotten Earl and, uh, and Martino successively for about five weeks. The one uh, day that Martino couldn't make it was, was ill. They uh, had that unbelievable save of bringing Gundawan in. So um, yeah. I, I feel like uh, we, I, I miss Robbie Musto. I want to hear what he has to say, particularly about Wenger at this point. Uh, we know Musto is one of those guys who has his finger on the pulse of Arsenal also. Um, and uh, obviously his, his club borrows struggling. Uh, but um, in a way, we haven't missed him because the other guys have been so good. And, and the one day that Martino was out, they, they were able to bring uh, uh, Gundawan, who was in New York, uh, into the studio, and, and uh, that was fantastic with Man City playing Arsenal that day, or yep. Man City playing Liverpool that day. That was fantastic. Yep, yep, yep. They've been solid, absolutely. So another thing that's solid, Kartik, is uh, buying tickets to sports and concerts. Uh, it can be way too complicated at times, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. 
I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just used uh, SeatGeek uh, this week to look for tickets for Swansea City's uh, game this July against North Carolina FC in Cary. And, uh, and the app experience, it's easy, it's simple to use, um, ha- had no problems with that at all. SeatGeek is designed to help make your ticket buying ex- experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Now, make SeatGeek your go-to app and uh, for finding the best seats on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. And best of all, uh, my listeners get uh, $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, I can't take as far as uh, the latest TV streaming news from the soccer world. Uh, what's going on with AT&T U-verse? Well, I think we've talked about this for a while, or at least you and I have talked about it privately, but it seemed like AT&T was pushing U-verse customers towards DirecTV. I was personally affected by that a few months ago. And since they've acquired the DirecTV brand, which is an established uh, brand, independent brand in the United States, but now uh, just kind of replaced the branding with the AT&T logo, with the AT&T Globe or Sphere, whatever that is, and uh, pushed DirecTV. And U-verse had faded in terms of any kind of brand recognition or brand push. Well, now we get new, uh, news from Yahoo News that uh, AT&T is going to shut down U-verse and shift all its users to DirecTV, uh, which um, I think was in line with what seemed to be happening for um, – um, for, for, for many, many months now. And um, if you are an Uverse customer, uh, you probably would be smart to get in touch with AT&T if they haven't been in touch with you already. In my case, I moved. So basically when I moved and wanted to reactivate my Uverse of service, it was, I had it on vacation hold. I was told, hey, uh, maybe you should do this bundle with DirecTV. And basically I was told, oh, you can keep the Uverse service, but we're going to give you a much better deal to reactivate with, AT- with, with DirecTV. So I knew at that point, okay, there's a reason they're doing that. Uh, and so this has been a, um, a process over the course of, I moved six months ago, so process of probably over the course of the last year. Um, how does this affect UVerse customers uh, and their soccer viewing? Initially, it wouldn't, other than that you're, you're, you're jumping to DirecTV. Now, I think, uh, now for example, Premier League... Um, Premier League extra time you get on uh, spillover channels on both DirecTV and Uverse. Uh, the reason I had initially shifted from DirecTV, I had been a DirecTV subscriber, by the way, and I shifted to Uverse was because when NBC got the Premier League rights, DirecTV didn't announce for some time that they were going to pick up those spillover channels. And I switched in, in May or June of 2013. And uh, then DirecTV ended up in August of 2013 picking up the channels, I think after one or two weeks of the Premier League season, the first year that they didn't show it, yep. and have continued through now to 2017. But there's no discernible effect on soccer fans and what broadcast they will get, uh, with the exception of probably the fact that at some point, we might see, uh, and this is c- contingent on uh, this, this AT&T-Time Warner merger, 
uh, we might see some Champions League games that are thrown onto spillover channels on DirecTV because Turner Sports, because TNT and TBS have acquired the rights to the, to the UEFA Champions League. So, uh, but right now, no discernible effects. But if you are a UVerse customer, you might want to get in touch with AT&T to see how long you can keep the service. If they're going to um, send out a person out to your house maybe this week or next week to change you over to uh, DirecTV. Yeah, and, and the article says, too, that they're going to completely phase out uh, UVerse by May 30th. So um, so if you haven't gotten a phone call or, or an email or correspondence yet, uh, you may want to reach out to them to see uh, what's the deal. And, and that's the thing, too, with DirecTV is that um, they'll take over some of those customers, but some of them may end up going to DirecTV now So for the streaming product. So they've got a couple different options there. Now, Kartik, uh, another piece of news this week is that uh, Fubo TV has added a new channel to its uh, streaming network, and that is Chelsea TV. It's a 24-7 uh, broadcast uh, directly from Chelsea. So in the past, uh, One World Sports had Chelsea TV, but what they would do is just they would just take bits and pieces of their programming and then use it as filler on One World Sports. So you'd see maybe an interview or maybe a, I don't know, a, a youth match at certain times, uh, but it was kind of spread out. But with Fubo, this is a, an extra channel that you can add. So it's for uh, Fubo Premier customers, subscribers, and you can add it for five five ninety nine a month. Uh, I watched a little bit of it this midweek, and uh, it's great. I watched they had an interview. It was uh, Neil Barnett was interviewing uh, Graham Lasso for a sit down interview. They've got a series called Legends. That's uh, I think an hour uh, interview with some of the, the biggest legends from the Chelsea past. Uh, I watched that. Then they had some behind-the-scenes footage of um, at, at Cobham, which is their training grounds, and kind of John Terry walking through, kind of giving you a tour of the, everything behind the scenes. So if you're a Chelsea fan, it's definitely something to check out, but that's on uh, Fubo TV, and it uh, certainly looks uh, worth adding if, if you're a Chelsea supporter. So what's next, Kartik, on, on the news front? Yeah, and that, that is exciting news because I've, I've uh, learned a lot more about Everton and Borussia Dortmund because of Football TV and them having those channels. So that is exciting news. NBCSN, this is really exciting for me, will call uh, layer back-to-back episodes of It's Called Football on 1 p.m. Eastern prior to the Palace Arsenal game on Monday. Uh, it's hosted by the YouTube sensation F2 Freestylers. The series presents viewers with the jaw-dropping trick shots of the F2 freestylers that they've become known for, um, as well as an in-depth look at what makes the Premier League unlike any other league in the world. The first four episodes they're shown on NBC are fantastic, and I've complained on this show about them not um, featuring this enough, but I guess they need a block uh, and, and generally like to do it on weekends. An encore presentation of the first Arsenal episode, which was great, and particularly if you're an Arsenal fan and you get kind of the stadium tour there, uh, will air at 1 p.m., followed by a premiere of a second episode featuring Arsenal. This should be good at 1.30 p.m. In other news, uh, speaking of Fubo TV too, they've added um, DV, DVR functionality this week for uh, all the NBC channels and all the Fox channels. Um, so in the past, previously, Fubo had the, the DVR functionality for the BN Sports channels and I believe the Univision channels too. But then they've added the Fox and the NBC ones. And I think almost every channel now on Fubo has the DVR functionality. It allows you to have uh, three recordings. So you can kind of always... You mean have you have a, a maximum of three, but if you watch one and then delete it, uh, then then it opens up a space for another recording. Uh, the recordings last for seventy two hours um, after the, the the game or programming is over, and it's free. There, there's no additional cost. Uh, unlike Sling, Sling's going to be charging, 
I think it's like $5 or, or more a month uh, for their DVR, their cloud DVR. But uh, Fubo's added that one uh, for free. So what about Kartik? Speaking of NBC, what about uh, some news uh, again from that channel? They've been busy this week. Yeah, they're going to be on the road again to England. This is, I believe, the third successive year they've done this, right? Third season yep. uh, in a row they've done this. Three games, uh, Spurs, Bournemouth. Manchester United, Chelsea, and Borough Arsenal, which is a Monday game, uh, April 15th through the 17th. Uh, they'll have uh, their entire uh, NBC crew on site uh, at these games. And uh, I guess we're still waiting for Fox to show this a similar commitment to the Bundesliga, their product that airs at the same time and, and do it maybe just once, or even send everybody over for the Champions League uh, other than the finals at some point. Uh, now I guess they won't with the Champions League with the, with the rights turning to Turner in a, in a year, in just over a year. But uh, something to look forward to here, April 15th through the 17th uh, on NBC. Yeah, and for me to contact, this has become kind of a highlight of the season. I mean, you've got... Uh the Behind the Badge, which I always uh, enjoy watching, but this is now for the third year in a row. I mean, to me, it's amazing to see these guys, you know, not just at the stadiums, but pitch side, real close, and they get usually a lot of one-on-one -on -one interviews that have been really uh, remarkable over the years. And yeah. Then, and then, Kartik, last, last but... Uh, actually, actually, we have a couple more items. Um, YouTube TV um, in the cities of L.A., uh, New York, San Francisco, Chicago, and Philadelphia went live uh, this Wednesday, and um, there's more cities to come in the future. It has FS1, FS2, and NBCSN, but as of yet, still uh, no BN Sports or BN Sports and Espanol. So um, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully it'll be coming to, uh, soon to a city near us so we can uh, take a look and see what it's like. And then Kartik, last but not least on the news items. So that same day, April 15th, we're talking about uh, on the Saturday, Leverkusen and Bayern Munich will be on the Big Fox Network. We've been waiting for uh, the, a Bundesliga game on the Big Fox Network. And it'll be followed by Orlando and the LA Galaxy uh, for a big doubleheader, uh, a special doubleheader on uh, the Big Fox. Um, so that will, be, uh, that will be interesting, and that'll be a good test to see the lead-in from a Bayern Munich game and from a Leverkusen game because it involved Chicharito to an MLS game. Uh, also, Jens Lehmann will be appearing uh, this weekend in studio on Fox Sports as a special guest, including the Dortmund-Bayern game. Yeah, actually, that's interesting. You mentioned that contact to the uh, April 15th. I, I just didn't think about, about it until now. But that is the same weekend that uh, NBC is in England. So you've got the Leverkusen against Bayern Munich on Big Fox. Finally, it's been for, it seems to have been forever since we've had a game on Big Fox from the Bundesliga. But that's at the same time as Southampton against Manchester City. Uh, while NBC, the crew, won't be at that stadium, they will be in England. So they're going to be covering it from probably one of the, the stadiums, um, probably from White Hart Lane, which is going to be interesting to watch that game too because I think it's the third from last league game ever to be played there at White Hart Lane. So there's going to be a lot of kind of probably behind-the-scenes footage and a lot of kind of uh, walks, walks down memory lane. So it's going to be hard to pull people away from that type of broadcast to watch the Bundesliga, even though it's going to be a big game on, on Fox. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so TV ratings, let's move on to that. For the month of March, uh, Univision's Saturday night broadcasts of Liga MX games uh, on their uh, Sabado uh, Futbol Futbolero 
uh, broadcast, which is their Saturday night prime time. They usually have um, usually like two two to three games on Univision and Univision Deportes kind of in, in a block. So those numbers from Univision for March for Liga MX are greater and better than the NBA on ABC uh, among adults 18 to 34. So uh, Univision is kicking butt, and so is Liga MX. So some big numbers there uh, beating out uh, the NBA on ABC among that age group, which is uh, 18 to 34, which is a key uh, demographic. And um, in terms of some of the TV numbers from this past weekend, can't take it. I, I've listed them here. I, I didn't list them all. We'll have them on, on uh, worldsoccertalk.com on Thursday or Friday. But uh, any here that jump out at you? Yeah, I think the, um, the uh, Manchester City Arsenal rating on NBCSN, it, it was a high-profile game, but that was still a good number, 631,000. It's not um, – and I guess we're, we're – we're re- re- Refining expectations, knowing that there's been a decline in television ratings in general in sports. Um, the Granada-Barcelona game, 511,000 on BN, to me, is just another huge number and an indicator as to the, the um, maybe unfulfilled potential of La Liga in this country, particularly when it involves Barcelona and Real Madrid. So that is a huge number, and that is uh, twice the number of any MLS game uh, this past weekend on a network with uh, three or four times distribution of BN. So that's uh, that's pretty telling, and we're going to get to the MLS stuff in a little bit. I, I was surprised, actually, the, the Merseyside derby didn't get as a bigger number than it did. It got uh, 287,000. Uh, it was an early Saturday morning game, which is pretty decent, but, but that's only about 30,000 more than Swansea against Middlesbrough um, an hour later on the Sunday morning broadcast. Um, so I was a little bit surprised by that. I guess the Liverpool fans have gotten discouraged in terms of the performance, and if they were, you mean, in, in the top three or something like that, or going for the title, that might be different. But uh, still surprised there. Uh, the Bundesliga, we'll get into that in a minute. But the, just a couple of the numbers that came out from this past weekend: you had the uh, the big uh, Schalke against Dortmund derby um, on that Saturday morning. Uh, unfortunately for most viewers, it was on FS2. Um, but that game had uh, 33,000 viewers. And then the, uh, the Frankfurt against Gladbach game, which is the 12.30 lunchtime kickoff, uh, that one I watched a little bit of it, didn't watch the whole thing. But sadly, I mean, that, that one had 14,000 viewers on FS2 uh, for a lunchtime broadcast, which is, which is really pitiful. Um, the English Championship on BN Sports is averaging more than 15,000. So the average of BN Sports is doing better uh, for the championship, then um, some of these some of these lunchtime kickoffs, Frankfurt against Gladbach, and with Gladbach, you would think that the numbers would be much higher, especially with um, kind of the American perspective. But let's move on, Kartik. Listen to mailbag. So this past episode, this is the last episode where we talked about why the Bundesliga kind of the growth potential. Um, it, it's I don't see it getting bigger than, than what it is today, and we went through the reasoning why. We had a lot of feedback, Kartik, I think probably more than any episode so far. The first, uh, this is from a comment on worldsoccertalk.com from Caleb. Oh, Caleb. Uh, he says, uh, good show, guys. And I was very interested in the Bundesliga discussion. I am one who enjoys the amount of coverage FS1 and FS2 gives to the league, though the amount of non-match programming seems to have dropped um, since the turn of the year. There are things that need an update for American audience, such as graphics, music and bumper elements. And um, 
uh, and he thinks that the biggest obstacle is simply the time difference. Most soccer fans are not used to watching games that early, and during work days can't watch midday matches. Personally, I watch more Bundesliga matches on replay in the evenings throughout the week than I do live. And since I don't have a DVR, those match replays that FS1 and FS2 and NBCSN air later on are my lifeline for European soccer. Since you can't particularly disrupt the local match day schedule, maybe a bigger part of the solution needs to be match replays later in the day or week. And uh, as a side question, he says, uh, does Fox or NBC include the replay numbers in the TV ratings for a football match? Uh, it, it would be interesting to see that. Kartik, I'll, I'll just I'll take the TV numbers part of it. So no, no, it's, it's separate. So they do have TV ratings numbers for the replays only but they don't combine those um, with the live match to have kind of a, a total number. Um, it's separate, separate broadcast and sec- separate uh, TV ratings. But Kartik, what, what's your thoughts in terms of um, replays, kind of, uh, especially for the Bundesliga on FS1, FS2? It's pretty random. They do it, but it's very random when they do it. And uh, I would agree it needs to be... It needs to be more. Um, and there needs to be more of a focus. I think an even greater focus has to be they have to sh- demonstrate uh, a regular time slot for their magazine programs that that kind of build interest in the Bundesliga, allow people to see highlights, get to know the personalities. Uh, absent of doing that, I think that they're in a in a position where uh, the ratings aren't going to improve. So I, I, I think that's a great comment from Caleb, and uh, agree with him. It's also interesting too, Kartik, just in terms of the Fox Soccer Channel, the old Fox Soccer Channel that we know and love. And there were a lot of lessons learned there. I mean, some of the lessons learned were the Premier League review show, the popularity of that, the Premier League preview show, the popularity of that, and also the replays. I mean, you mean there was always games on, yes, it was a soccer-only channel, but there was always replays on later that day or that afternoon or that night and throughout the week of games. So it gave people plenty of chances to catch up on matches they may have missed or just to have something on in the background. And sometimes you'd be surprised, maybe it wasn't a match you were intending to, to watch or were interested in, but it ended up being a good one. And uh, I guess now with Fox, I mean, obviously, you mean there's not enough bandwidth uh, now that you have, a, even with FS1 and FS2 and Fox Soccer Plus, um, you mean they don't have the bandwidth to kind of show because they've got other sports and other programming, but still, it's interesting that uh, kind of the old Fox seem to have gotten it right in many ways, but but times have yeah, changed. and the qu- and the quickness um, in which they cut out of games, right? Yeah. Um, oh, oh my God! Yeah. A- after games, even US games and MLS games, and go to other sports programming. I mean, it's very. Uh, I, I think the final straw for me with this was there was a, a, a good Champions League game a couple of years ago, and I was expecting that they would um, they would have a um, they would have the ability to um, to really analyze it. I can't remember which game it was. Uh, oh, it was the Barcelona PSG second leg, and yeah. right away they're going to. Uh, uh, NFL free agency or some such nonsense, and I, I was just so uh, disappointed in it. And that's a thing we we miss about not having Fox Soccer Channel. Yeah, that's that's a pet peeve, big time. I mean, for me, it's usually about three seconds if you're lucky, and they cut right in, and, and they don't care if they're cutting off the you mean Martin Tyler or whoever it is, giving kind of a quick synopsis of the game, or you mean at the end, it's just it's done, moving on. Okay, thanks very much, and uh, now we're going to commercial, and we'll be back. And you miss, you miss, especially like a PSG Barcelona game where it's just a huge game. You could talk about that for 
a good 10 or 15 minutes about, you know, all the highs and all the things that happened. Uh, but instead, you go to commercial break, you come back, and it's, it's just going through the motions. Yes, I understand that they need to make uh, money and that they need to run ads, but just the timing of it, and it's something that NBC doesn't do. It's great that they allow the commentators to, to breathe and for us to, to listen to what, what they have to say right after the game ends. It makes a huge difference. Okay, Kartik, so an- another email, this one, actually another comment, sorry. This is from Clyde. Uh, he posted on worldsoccertalk.com. He says, great, great pod especially the Bundesliga discussion. I agree with much of what you said. I also think the Bundesliga isn't growing in the U.S. because of the incompetence of Fox, or as I see it, the antipathy someone at Fox has towards soccer and the league's stubborn unwillingness to prioritize North America. Today, this is when he wrote it, April 1st, the biggest derby in the Bundesliga, Bundesliga is on FS2, while FS1 is showing pickup truck racing. This world, um, sorry, this game should be on Fox Broadcast Network and should have been heavily advertised based on Pulisic's World Cup qualification performance. Instead, the game is on a cable channel that most subscribers have to pay extra for. As far as the league not prioritizing North America, I am a uh, Columbus Crew season ticket holder. Uh, I have seen three Premier League games, uh, th- three Premier League teams play the Crew at Crew Stadium. While Premier League teams are doing friendlies with MLS teams, the Bundesliga concentrates on Asia. Dortmund will not travel to the U.S. until the summer of 2018, squandering yet another year. Any thoughts on that one? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's, uh, it's again, I think a... uh, um, an example of uh, Fox's just lack of commitment to, uh, to to this whole project, and maybe the reluctance under which the American division of, of Fox uh, has uh, taken on these rights. Anthony Bello sent in an email this week. He says, "Hi guys, I would like to add my opinion on last week's pod and add to what uh, Clyde said in the comments section." Um, about forgetting about the uh, Schalke Dortmund game. How about the Bayern Munich Dortmund game this week? Up to until today, I haven't seen a promo for that match on any Fox event I have watched. In fact, I've seen more promos for the women's national team um, upcoming friendly against Russia than I have for Munich against uh, Dortmund. Compare that to the way that other networks handle promos for their big matches. NBCSN ran promos through the international break for last week's Merseyside Derby. Be in Sports has put up a countdown uh, graphic in the corner of the screen in the month leading up to El Clasico. With Fox, nothing. One would think that with the two biggest teams in the Bundesliga playing each other and America's best player on one of the teams, Fox would be promoting the match nonstop, at least on its soccer games. And that is why, as it stands, the Bundesliga is going to have a hard time getting above the Premier League in North America. The league is... Uh, with a media partner that would rather promote loud mouth windbags, skip and cowherd, than actual games. And it's not just soccer. They run uh, more promos for the windbags than for the National Major League Baseball package. So for the Bundesliga to succeed in America, I think either the league has to go with another network or hope that the U.S. men's national team uh, makes a deep run in in Russia and a lot of that team's stars are in the league and hope that Fox decides it would be in the best interest of the network to show those players in the run-up to 2020. And it is sad that Schalke against Dortmund match was as intense as any game in the Premier League, especially the last five minutes. Preach, Anthony, preach. Karthik, any any other thoughts on that one? 
No, I agree with uh, with Anthony, just like as I agreed with uh, uh, Clyde and with uh, with Caleb. Um, you know, the note that uh, I would uh, um, I would mention for Clyde, I, I'd forgotten about the Dortmund component of what he was talking about. I think it's it's surprising to me Dortmund hasn't made the attempt of the U.S. because there seems to be this kind of underground interest in Dortmund. Yeah. Uh, in the U.S., even pre-Pulisic that had developed because of uh, the, the style of play, uh, maybe the cool color, the, the, the yellow kits, and also the fact that they had such a passionate following in Germany uh, and really kind of the, 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 the type of rapid support that is unrivaled maybe among continental clubs. So that, that's um, – or at least clubs in Western Europe. So that um, I think is, is a squandered opportunity for Dortmund. I mean I was thinking just the Bundesliga angle of what he was talking about. But it's like, I thought about his comments. I wanted to chime in on that. For Dortmund, it's the same as Arsenal, though, Kartik. I mean, Arsenal, I mean, when they come over to the United States for a tour, they play usually, like, what, one game? If you're lucky, two games. But then we don't see them for yeah. a few years. They're in Asia or they're elsewhere or Africa. So same thing. And it's a team with similar routes to, to Dortmund in terms of uh, an attacking, I mean, great players, I mean, great to watch, uh, rabid fan base, but uh, being underserved by, um, by the club in North America. So this week, contact, I got something I've, I haven't gotten before, uh, feedback from a listener by phone. I got a phone call this week from a listener by the name of Martin Slater, and he was, uh, I'll paraphrase, so basically he was frustrated because he's trying to find why being sports is only in, H, um, only in SD, standard definition, on his local Comcast network. Uh, being sports uh, in Espanol is in HD, but then the SAP for English doesn't work. And he contacted BN Sports, and BN Sports said it's Comcast's fault. He contacted Comcast. Comcast said it's BN Sports' fault. So he called me and said, like, what's going on? And I told him, really, it's, it's Comcast's um, problem uh, in terms of them only offering the SD. Uh, if enough people, including you, the listeners, contact Com, uh, Comcast, hopefully maybe they'll, they'll see that there is demand out there for HD, but not only HD, but having uh, the games in, in English language. And uh, Martin went on to say that uh, he's been really enjoying La Liga, uh, but then has been frustrated because he's watching it in HD, but it's in Spanish, and he doesn't understand Spanish, or doesn't want to uh, you mean, hear it in Spanish. Um, and he's kind of missing out on, on the English uh, broadcast. And um, last but not least, Kartik, um, uh, we have a question or feedback from uh, our listener Scott from McAllen, Texas and he says, hey guys, I was curious about something when you all report on the number of viewers for the Premier League, is that including the numbers for NBC Universo and Telemundo here in South Texas I'm often watching those broadcasts away from my house because most places I'm at uh, either has basic cable or over the air. Here we get the games in Spanish only on basic cable on Universo and uh, if it's just over the air, Telemundo, maybe just an advantage for a soccer fan living just a few miles from Mexico. In answer to that question, um, the numbers uh, that I report uh, or that worldsoccertalk.com reports uh, don't include the Spanish language. Um, but on the website, w- w- if, if, if the numbers do include those, we always state that. So if we say, okay, NBC for the Everton-Liverpool derby got 287,000, that's just NBCSN. So, um, so if we do include the Spanish numbers, we always we always mention that. So just just keep keep that uh, uh, in notes. But good question. 
So if you do have any feedback for us, any questions, comments, uh, anything you want to bring up, you can contact us through web at worldsoccertalk.com, through Twitter at wsoccertalk, and Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. So Kartik, on to our feature topic of the week, and this is a discussion of why Major League Soccer is losing the TV rights war, uh, TV ratings war, pardon me, and how the league can fix it. So, so Kartik, I need to preface this discussion by saying that I think both you and, and I want Major League Soccer to succeed in this country. Uh, we want to see uh, soccer continue to grow, uh, especially, and it's important to have a, a local national league that not only is in existence, but, but is, is thriving, not just for us, but for future generations too. Um, but we're doing this topic as a way to increase awareness, but also to share solutions uh, as well as opinions from, from ourselves, as well as soccer fans in the United States. And while Major League Soccer continues to expand and continues to be a great night out for people um, who are lucky enough to have a team locally that they can go to and, and see those games, that's great. But for the, far, the majority of us, um, TV is really kind of the only way that we get a chance to actually watch uh, a lot of these games. And on the TV side, the league is uh, being left behind uh, when it comes to national TV ratings. So now that that's out of the way, I think, I think we as soccer fans in the United States, um, and really kind of the public in, in general in terms of whether it's the reporters or the leagues themselves, I think it's important that we realize that MLS, and I include MLS fans in this too, is that we need to realize that there's a problem with MLS TV ratings. Uh, MLS is struggling with me- mediocre ratings, um, if we take a look at the numbers, we can see clearly that there's tons of soccer fans in this country, but for a whole host of different reasons, they're not choosing to watch Major League Soccer. So, Kartik, I know that you posted something on Twitter this week to kind of get some um, reactions or feedback or opinions or comments and ideas uh, from listeners and followers to kind of uh, get their take on it. And I'm wondering uh, what you heard, what, what the feedback was that, that you heard and, and uh, read. Yeah, it was it was um, in some cases visceral from anti MLS people, pro rel people, the, the the Ted Westerville crowd, and in some respects it was from the pro MLS crowd. And, and I think people who are listening might know some of these figures on Twitter, and many of them are writers and journalists. So hey, we don't have a problem. Sports TV ratings are down in general. Uh, I would state, and and Chris, you've pointed this out to me time and again, and you and I had a back and forth eight or nine years ago about it. On, uh, on our sites, on uh, our network of sites, that um, at the time, Major League Soccer had higher ratings than the Premier League in this country. There were more viewers every week. Now, again, the Premier League didn't quite have the exposure it does today. It was on NBC. Um, excuse me. It was not on NBC in those days. It was on Fox Soccer Channel and on the defunct Satanta Sports. But I had argued that the growth for the club game in this country was going to come only from a domestic league, which American fans would be invested in. And MLS had higher TV ratings. That's where everyone's focus should be. At the time, I was uh, annoyed that there were so many fans that were watching the Premier League who were not watching uh, the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the, the top domestic league and not watching Major League Soccer. And uh, at the same time, I was also annoyed that there were a lot of people who were watching the Premier League who weren't watching the Bundesliga or Serie A, but that was a whole, that's a separate discussion. Uh, what ended up transpiring was the Premier League the next year ends up on ESPN, on ESPN2, primarily. 
7.45 a.m. kickoffs on the East Coast, 4.45 a.m. on the West Coast. rest of the games remain on isolated channels like Fox Soccer Channel. What we saw was the ratings for those 7.45 a.m. games that ESPN did promote a a little more at the time than they did promote MLS games. I will concede that. Shot up while MLS ratings remain stagnant. That same year, Seattle joined MLS, the most successful um, uh, team in terms of attendance and marketing in in MLS history, moving up from USL. And the TV ratings stayed the same except for Seattle. Games. And we continue to see this progression where the TV ratings, Orlando moves from USL and they have this huge following. And obviously you and I are very close to Orlando, so we, we feel it every day. But Orlando fans, as I've talked about time and again on this show, will watch ESPN or Fox when Orlando plays. They don't watch MLS otherwise. They're not watching soccer or they're watching the Premier League or they're watching uh, uh, League MX or whatever, You know, largely the Premier League, La Liga. So um, I think MLS fans have to recognize that there is a problem, that uh, f- from a higher starting point and the, um, the nature of being a domestic league, uh, they've been overtaken not only by the Premier League, that's, that's always the talking point, but now, quite frankly, by La Liga, uh, which is on BN Sports, which is in fewer homes than Fox Soccer Channel was in when uh, the Premier League was on Fox Soccer Channel and it's getting much higher ratings than the Premier League even got on Fox Soccer Channel and far greater ratings than Major League Soccer did when Major League Soccer had a game a week on Fox Soccer Channel. So uh, it, it, that, that kind of tells you about the growth of the sport in this country. So uh, and, and where that, that growth, where that audience that's growing with the growth of the sport of the country is going, they are not going to Major League Soccer. They're going to La Liga and to a lesser extent the Premier League. Now let's talk about the feedback I got. Well, I got a. Oh, go ahead. Well, actually, before you get into that, just a couple more things. So, so, so you mentioned the high point of kind of MLS in terms of uh, TV numbers, but I mean, if we look back to two thousand five, two thousand six, um, Major League Soccer was getting higher TV ratings at that point than Premier League games on Fox Soccer Channel, and it was Premier League games that were getting an average of between fifty to one hundred thousand people, um, and then that's over that's about well, over ten years ago now. In those past ten years. MLS ratings have increased slightly uh, year over year, little by little, but the Premier League has shot up. So why is that? What is the reason? Because, I mean, is it because that there's something that's wrong with the league or something the way, the way that the league is televised? Or, I mean, what, what about the, the feedback you got, Kartik, in terms of some of the, the what they've been saying and what, what's been the reaction there? Okay, so uh, obviously the things I hear are there are no context to the games. The regular season is meaningless because you have a big playoffs. So you don't have pro rail, which um, I, I've actually advocated. If, if uh, you go you go pro rail, you're going to have to keep playoffs, and you're going to have to make it so that every team is either in a relegation fight or a playoff fight because um, you would have no mid table teams for this reason um, because there's no importance to these matches. But then. The playoffs, that dilutes the regular season for the teams that are still in the middle of the table because they're going to make the playoffs and they're not fighting relegation. So that's not really an easy solution. Pro-Rel is not on the horizon, so it's not uh, a logical. I mean, in fact, I think I had tweeted that would like to get real explanation, some real solutions, not just, hey, we need to have Pro-Rel. I, I understand if we had promotion and relegation, there would be more interest in the league. I, I, I don't dispute that, but we're, it's, not, it's not happening anytime soon. So let's let's drop that argument. Uh, so the, the feedback I got was about time slots. Now, this is interesting because obviously MLS matches floated around at different times on various days prior to 2015, prior to this latest television deal. 
And with this latest television deal, they basically had fixed times in 2015 and 2016. We didn't see the kind of numbers, improvement in numbers that ESPN and Fox wanted to see or ESPN wanted to see. I'm not sure about Fox. I think maybe the numbers are more satisfactory to them. They, um, so what has ended up happening is ESPN is now floating that, that game. Sometimes it's on Saturday. Sometimes it's earlier on Sunday than, than 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock Eastern time. And we aren't seeing any discern, discernible uptick now. I will grant you it's only five weeks into the season, but any uptick in ratings. Uh, and we see spikes in ratings when Atlanta, Seattle, Orlando, uh, Portland, those four teams really are on. So um, what – ESPN and Fox have attempted to do is load up games with those four teams to the point where you're seeing Chicago, DC United, San, um, San Jose, I think, uh, Colorado, Dallas, Dallas, who's I think the most successful team in MLS, uh, just from a playing standpoint, these last few years, only once or twice a season on national television, on English language television, because they're trying to load up with Orlando, Atlanta, Seattle, Portland, those four teams in particular, uh, and New York FC, sorry, so those five teams. And um, there's still not really the uptick in ratings. Now, I think there is an uptick when Seattle plays and when Atlanta plays, but when Seattle played Atlanta the other day, it still only had 266,000 viewers on FS1. Granted, that was twice the number of the other FS1 game on the weekend. Uh, it shows, again, the power of those two clubs, but um, that was a problem. Um, I'm hearing – oh, go ahead. But, but just, just to put that into context, so so Seattle, I mean, the MLS champs against Atlanta, who's the most exciting team in, in the league right now, and that was uh, for West Coast America, at least on Friday night, was prime time. It was like, what, 10 o'clock Eastern time for um, for us on the East Coast. Yeah, but that 9.30, game, yes. That, but that game, that game had fewer viewers than, on, on FS1 than, on, than, than the Middlesbrough against Swansea game on Sunday morning uh, that was on NBCSN that was a relegation battle. And there's, there's not a lot of Borough fans, there's not a lot of Swansea fans in the States. So even your best two teams, your Seattle's and the Atlanta's, can't be the Middlesbrough against Swansea. Yeah, that's an important, that's an important point. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have any way from a pro MLS standpoint to refute that point other than to say that is a big problem for the league. And you, a lot of the league's fans and league's apologists are in denial about this and claim that people like you and I and others exaggerate this problem, but that's it in a nutshell right there. That's one weekend. You have uh, arguably the two most popular teams in major league soccer playing each other. And I, I singled out that rating as being a pretty good rating, relatively speaking for MLS still got beat by burrow and Swansea, a game that I don't think anyone really was motivated to watch other than maybe you. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much me. But, but, right. but, but, but even then, though, too, so the, the Toronto against Sporting Kansas City game uh, on Friday night, which I didn't watch, but I heard it was pretty bad as far as, I think, I think Phil Shane said it was an eyesore. But that game had fewer viewers than the Premier League behind the badge on West Brom on the final episode. So, wow. so, so they, and again, the Toronto against Sporting Kansas City was prime time on a Friday night on FS1. Um, and, and going back to what you were saying before, Kartik, about Seattle's and the Atlantas and by MLS, uh, MLS really, and, and the TV broadcasters kind of looking at these, these different games and cherry picking, which, which is important at times, cherry picking the, the teams that they want to put on the national uh, TV side and not playing as many kind of San Jose's or Chicago's or Colorado's, is even by putting the best foot forward, putting these games on and, and the, these teams on, they're still not delivering the numbers. 
the other thing that they're doing too is they're trying to piggyback, continue to piggyback off big games. So we mentioned in the TV section about um, the upcoming Bayern Munich game against Leverkusen uh, is going to be on Big Fox. Well, right after that is Orlando against Galaxy. So they're hoping that, I guess either way, that the MLS fans will watch the Bundesliga game and boost the Bundesliga numbers and the Bundesliga fans will watch that game to boost the, the MLS numbers. One more thing on that, too, is the, the El Clasico Miami game in um, this summer in July uh, between, of course, Barcelona and Real Madrid is going to be on ESPN. Now, MLS has uh, rearranged their, their fixtures for that night to take one of the games and put it on right after El Clasico Miami. So the broadcasters are doing everything, every single thing possible to try to juice the numbers, try and figure out, OK, how do we... I, make, make I, 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 I can't wait to be on Twitter that night because I'm guessing that uh, there is going to be so many snide comments about an MLS game coming on after Barcelona-Real Madrid from from fans of European football. You can just imagine how people are going to react to seeing some random MLS game. Not sure who's playing, uh, being promoted during a Barcelona-Real Madrid game. You you know how that's going to go, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is sad, though, too, because at the end of the day, it's still soccer, no matter what league it is and and no matter... And it's soccer in your country. Right. You should embrace it. Exactly. But so many people won't. Exactly. And... But why is that, Kartik? Why is there such a... Not among us. I mean, we want MLS to succeed. We're just sharing the numbers and sharing the facts. But why is there such an opposition to Major League Soccer? Is it the way that the league is run? Is it the way... It's part of... Part of it is ideological. Yeah, it's ideological. There's no promotion and relegation. It's single entity. It's... uh, Largely managed by uh, American professional sports owners, crossover owners from the NBA, uh, from the NFL or NHL or wherever. Uh, that's that's one aspect of it. I think there's a second aspect of it of just a, a, a lot of hipsters who don't believe American soccer or American soccer players can ever be as good. That it's too manufactured. It's too artificial. I, I, I get that too. I mean, I get all these critiques. I just think that people should be more open-minded. Um, and 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 three. Uh, that the and this goes back to a lot of the feedback I got this week uh, this week or since putting this on Twitter and on uh, other social media that the broadcasts are too excessively Americanized that the broadcasts are not done in the kind of style and people will say hey I can watch the games on Univision because they they broadcast it in a kind of a traditional Latin style but the broadcasts that are in English language are not done in, in your kind of traditional English language, British style, but they're done in a very kind of American sports way. I think that's a little bit unfair. Now, I, I, I believe that that was the case a while ago, but in the, in the um, form of guys like Taylor Twellman and John Strong and Stu Holden, you have emerging a, um, a, uh, a, a really good American, uh, American born, I was going to say American born, sorry, American, Stu Holden was actually born in Scotland, but American uh, oriented, American former U.S. national team players in, in Holden and Twelvin, uh, guys who understand the global game, understand how to use language to connect with those, uh, with that American audience, but also with the audience that watches European football. So I think that they're, they're, they're kind of the first of a, a generation. Now, but uh, Kata, another... But, but Kata, those are commentators, though. I, I, th- I think to me personally, I just... Uh, 
Rob Stone, Alexi Lalas. I mean, just way. Well, way right. Up. I was going to get to that. But, I was going to get to that. But, so but, la, la, they 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 take it on like it's a cause. Right. This is the biggest problem. Right. Rob Stone in particular. It's a cause for him. It's like the it's like the charity. It's like the American Cancer Society for Rob Stone promoting Major League Soccer. And it has been. It has been since he was at ESPN. It has been since the late '90s. I mean, I've been watching the guy since since uh, he used to do Tampa Bay Mutiny games and he used to do other things for ESPN. Um, and I, I get it. I mean, I totally get it. He wants soccer to succeed in this country. And I think it's great that we have, as soccer fans, a guy like Rob Stone who covers uh, college basketball and college football at a high level for Fox, who's such a champion for our sport. But it's in the face of people who are genuinely skeptical about the league, the way they promote it, the way any guy – who accomplishes anything on the international level who plays in major league soccer is then thrown in your face. And it's, it's reinforced that this is an MLS player and this is major league soccer. This is how great major league soccer is. I think that's one aspect of it. And then I think another aspect of it, when we talk about Fox is, um, and and I think, I think this goes back to major league soccer and the critiques of major league soccer, that they don't allow people who are critical. They don't want people who want uh, to have an open mind who will discuss things in an objective, objective fashion on their broadcast or covering their league too closely. So the absence of Eric Winalda on Fox's Major League Soccer broadcast, I think is a galling thing that is an easy uh, uh, talking point for those who critique these broadcasts and say, well, I mean, they won't even allow want a guy like that on their broadcast who's going to be critical of the level of play, critical of the coaching, critical of the league structure. Um, and then I think it, the, the, the fourth criticism is level of play. And I think the level of play, I would say from a technical standpoint, is not as bad as MLS critics think it is. From a tactical standpoint, I would tell you it's awful. I think the coaching in Major League Soccer and, and the organization and kind of the, the field awareness of, uh, of the majority of guys in the league is not anywhere near the level it is in Europe or, or in, uh, in Latin America. And that, for discerning football viewers, becomes a, a, a greater issue. Although, for lazy football viewers who just want to look for uh, excuses for why they don't watch MLS, they'll say, well, the level of play, the players aren't as good. I don't really believe the players aren't as good technically uh, from a talent standpoint. I think the organization and just the tactics in the league are very basic. Um, they're probably similar to what your, your daughter is uh, getting at the youth level, quite frankly, in many cases. Yeah, there's a lot to, to chew, chew there, Kartik. Um, the, the, the playing level, I don't have as much of an issue with. I mean, it, some games are good, some games are bad. I mean, we see that in the Premier League, too. Uh, are the games... Are yeah, no, I mean, I think uh, the Premier League, this is the other thing about the American audience, and I, I, I want to throw this out there. I know this will get people angry. The American audience, and Jamie Trecker, um, formerly of Fox Sports, has talked to me about this for years. Uh, the, play, the, the viewing audience in the United States is not that sophisticated mm-hmm. um, compared to some other places. I think we're getting better all the time, but there are people who think what they watch, they'll turn on a random Premier League thing, game and think it's the greatest thing ever because of the way it's produced and the way it's hyped and the way it's presented. Um, the quality of play in the Premier League, to me, is, is half the time it's awful. I mean, there are a lot of MLS games that are better than Premier League games. And people are going to get cra- go crazy when they hear that. But... Um, I think, um, and I and I happen to think the Bundesliga, the level of play is much higher than the Premier League, and there are not many MLS games better than Bundesliga games, but that's a whole another subject. But um, the American audience isn't very discerning, or, or large elements of the American audience isn't very discerning as far as that's concerned. So that's why there are people who are MLS proponents who say, hey, the level of play is just like Europe. 
our guys who are as good as those guys because they really don't know the difference. And then there are other people who are kind of told, hey, MLS isn't very good. So they parrot that argument and say, hey, the level play isn't very good. I'm not going to watch it. And they don't really watch it. So they can't judge because they don't watch it. So I think that level of play thing is, is way over exaggerated. I, th- I think our listeners are definitely more sophisticated in terms of uh, having watched many different leagues from around the world and probably conceived tactically definitely are, are going to be you know, your 20% of, of soccer fans that are, are, tactically can look at the game and see kind of the differences between league versus league or team versus team and see which ones are underperforming or you know uh, overperforming etc but but going back to what you said about uh, Rob Stone is that um, it's just over the top I mean to me it's just like to me at least with Major League Soccer just let it stand on its own let let, let the soccer to- uh, speak for itself uh, which is what NBC does NBC just let lets the the, the games play they don't have you know these these kind of really big-headed kind of uh, people just saying crazy stuff or just being like very obnoxious or just over the top. It's just okay. Here's the analysis. Okay, here's the game. Um, and with Fox, especially and Major League Soccer, I mean ESPN too, is just a little bit too much of just rah rah. It's, it's I don't know, to me, it's sickening. Um, Winalda's an interesting case, Kartik. You mentioned before too, and, and I, from one of my sources, uh, he told me that. Ronaldo was pushed out of Fox uh, Major League Soccer broadcast because he was being too opinionated, too critical, and probably really speaking the truth, just sharing his opinion. He's a, he's a an accomplished you know, former professional footballer as well as coach. And from what my source tells me, it was Major League Soccer that contacted Fox to push Ronaldo out of there. They didn't want to have Ronaldo on the Major League Soccer broadcast. And to me, that tells you a lot. I mean, to me, as a soccer fan, I want to watch a broadcast where the, you know, the talent on, on the set are willing to be able to be open, honest with the viewer. And I think you get that with NBC. I mean, if, if the game's a bad game, they will say it's a bad game. They won't try to hype it up and say, oh, what, what an entertaining nil-nil uh, draw that was. Um, what, do you, what do you think, Kartik? Yeah, I agree with that. There's never a bad MLS game on, on FS1, right? There's never a, a quality of play issue or, or um, it, every game is great. Uh, players are always playing at a high level. They're, um, yeah, I, I agree. And then on, on the Winalda issue, I've, I've already covered that. I think um, that, that impacts a lot of people that there isn't that, that dissenting voice. And there, isn't, there aren't voices. And this is the thing that's important. Okay, there are a lot of these for lack of a better term, they're called, quote, Euro snobs, and maybe people fit you and I into that category, right, even though we're not, um, that that don't watch soccer in this country at all and watch the Premier League, they watch La Liga, whatever else, and they don't care. Um, and they want games They want uh, games announced by, by uh, uh, foreign broadcasters. There is also an undercurrent of people who watch lower league soccer, are involved in grassroots soccer, and... Um, are involved in the game at the youth level in this country who don't like major league soccer and don't watch major league soccer and are opposed to kind of the ideological and corporatism of major league soccer. For those people, the symbolism of Eric Winalda not being on the broadcast is massive because Winalda is a guy who's worked uh, at, a, at an amateur club at Cal FC. He's a guy who's a coach in the, in, in the NASL. He's a guy who knows kind of the, the way the sport is set up through USASA. He's a guy who's talked about reform in the U.S. Soccer Federation uh, beyond, be, beyond being one of the leading scorers and, and best players in United States men's national team history. So uh, there is a perspective of Americans 
who are in soccer, who are in the sport, but aren't part of Major League Soccer. That is being ignored by the way Fox broadcasts Major League Soccer and by dropping Eric Winalda from the broadcast and not having him in that studio or on the broadcast talking about these things. Uh, there is a element of American soccer fan and American soccer professional that has been displaced even by their own top domestic league and the way they broadcast the games. So that's a whole nother issue uh, that, again, the MLS proponents, that will get be more controversial than anything about the Premier League we just talked about uh, and how more, much more popular the Premier League is in this country than, than Major League Soccer because they, there seems to be part of the cause – and Stone doesn't do this on air, and obviously he's probably very friendly with Winalda, but um, the people who cover MLS in the written press and um, in TV in some, some instances uh, have a, um, an axe to grind, it seems, with people like Eric Winalda uh, and um, want to use them as scapegoats for MLS not growing. So I, I, think the, I think the Winalda subject, and I hate to personalize this, and if you're listening, Eric, I'm sorry that we're spending all this time personalizing it about you, but I think there's a lot of symbolism to me about the way he's been treated and the audience, the kind of, uh, I don't want to call them a silent majority because they're probably not a majority, but the silent, not the, 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 the group that's not watching MLS and hasn't embraced the league but is involved in American soccer, how, how, um, how he is connected to that group and his shunning and not having voices, not necessarily Eric Winalda specifically, although in this case it is him, but voices like him hurts MLS. And it hurts them to even kind of create that base outside of their own MLS markets in the United States because there's no, very few people follow MLS outside of MLS markets in the U.S. You know this. You and I have talked about this over and over again. The shunning of guys like Eric Winalda creates an even greater problem on that score. It is very symbolic, Kartik. It is, um, and, and it's a lot of listeners that are listening right now going like, "Ah, oh, I hate Winalda. I think he's horrible," and and that's okay. I mean, like that, that that's what uh, you mean. Soccer talent or soccer analyst, uh, they, they you, most of the time you either love him or hate him. But for me personally, Winalda is the best thing going for Fox in terms of when he's on his game. Sometimes he gets off 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 track, but when he's on his game. He's opinionated. He's very knowledgeable. If you look at the Fox Studio cast, I mean, he has the most caps of any anyone on on that uh, on that uh, in that studio. More than Lalas, more than Friedel. You I mean he's the one that has the most number of caps, is the highest in terms of uh, most experience as as a United States player, played in Germany, knows the game inside out, but symbolic also too because he hasn't been able to get a job in MLS. He's been shunned by MLS. So there, there is, I mean, it's not just TV ratings. I mean, there is kind of that feeling that, you know, I mean, it just, it's overly commercialized. Um, and maybe that's why we see the same thing on Fox to a lesser extent on ESPN, but it seems to be over-commercialized. It's all about, you know, press releases going out about every little sponsor that they hire, whether it's DraftKings or whoever it is. It's, it's all about the business side and, and not so much about the soccer side. But Kartik, from the TV ratings perspective, which is what we're talking about today, how can we fix it? I mean, whether it's your opinions or any um, opinions from some of the readers, were there anything in there that you, you, you saw that thought, or, or your own opinions about how Major League Soccer and the broadcasters can fix these TV ratings? Well, Chris, this has been uh, batted about for years, and there's been no tangible solution that's come. We thought moving to a permanent time slot would fix a lot of the problems. We thought expansion into better MLS markets 
would fix a lot of the problems. And while those markets have been incredibly successful in terms of attendance and local bus, Orlando, uh, Atlanta, uh, Portland, uh, Vancouver, and then you know obviously going further back, Seattle, and, and with the exception of Atlanta, they all were lower division teams that were brought up into MLS. We have not seen the sort of, I think, universal um, interest in MLS turn up and, and, and the uptick we need. And, and quite frankly, the league knows they have a problem. They've at times admitted it and then pulled back. They, um, they don't have a solution. I really don't have a solution at this point because if the league is going to stay in a single entity structure and not open it up to promotion and relegation, not open it up to where uh, there is there are more compelling storylines than just being within a self-contained league, not perform better at, uh, at, at an international level. Um, I, I don't know. And I keep hearing, well, if they, they blow the salary cap off and they spend more money on players, I'm not even sure that happens because, look, um, short of the U.S., and I've said this over and over again, and no one's picked up on this point with the exception of our friend Simon Evans, who um, – who thinks it's it's pretty apt uh, that if uh, it's very difficult to build a sustainable strong league outside of um, outside of the European Union in this day and age after the Bosman ruling, unless you have a a really strong um, uh, base of domestic players at a really really high level, which the United States does not have uh, and won't have for some time. Uh, the development system is being revamped, but we're talking about enough of a, of, of, of a base where you could fill uh, 25 professional teams at a high level and then the lower divisions as well, um, or join the European Union, that's B, and have the benefits of, of the free movement of French, uh, German, Italian, Spanish players, Dutch players, Belgian players, etc. cetera. Um, by the way, this is going to be a problem for the Premier League in a few years, so uh, that's a subject for another day, and we don't know what's going to happen with work permit rules uh, once Brexit is in full effect, but it, it could be a problem. The Premier League might decline fairly rapidly for those of you that love the Premier League. But So absent of doing that, I don't know how Major League Soccer improves as a league enough to satisfy the critics who say the quality of play isn't good enough. Um, so then you have to make the, 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 the actual competition more interesting and more compelling. And short of having promotion and relegation or... Um, something else tangible that comes from the regular season games, I don't know. So I, quite frankly, I don't think there's a solution. Yeah, we, we've seen too, I mean, whether it's the Steven Gerrards of the world, Frank Lampard's, uh, uh, Gio Dos Santos, I mean, all these like star power people that brought in that really were boosted, really, I think, from the TV ratings perspective, not so much from the attendance perspective. They had zero effect in terms of raising the numbers. So, so Major League Soccer, hopefully, was Latan. I mean, yeah, he's a great player. I'd love to watch him play, but I don't think it's going to boost TV numbers. So their focus on looking at South America, Central America, I think is the way to go in terms of um, kind of the FC Dallas model, uh, academies looking at Mexico, looking to recruit players from our hemisphere, I think is going to be the better way to go. But the fundamental issue with Major League Soccer in terms of TV ratings is that... I mean, what's what's the point of watching the league until when you know that the majority of teams are going to make it into the playoffs? So you could take a pause on, on Major League Soccer and then start tuning in maybe in August for kind of the the, the playoff race or the race to the playoffs. 
uh, knowing by that point that some of the teams might have already qualified and maybe there's a few spots open to see exactly who makes it into into the playoffs. So you bypass March, April, May, June, July, so five months of the season where there really is very little consequence in these games. It's, I mean, Rebecca Lowe kind of said, summed it up best this week, and she was talking, of course, about the Premier League. But on Wednesday's show, which was the midweek show for the Premier League in the pregame, we're now 82% of the way through this entire season, 82% of the Premier League season. And she said, there's something riding on every single game today in the Premier League, which there was. There was, whether it was the top you mean the race for the, the, the top four, top five in the middle in terms of trying to see if they can push up into, into kind of maybe a Europa League spot or uh, overtake Man United um, and also make sure that they don't drop any further, whether it's a Leicester type of thing. And at the bottom in terms of the escape from relegation and just all the relegation battles, there was every single game mattered. It meant something. And, and you can't say that for Major League Soccer. For the most part, for the majority of the season, yes, it's great if you have a team locally to you to go see those games. It's a great experience. I've been there. I've done that when I had the Miami Fusion team down here. But from a TV perspective, what's, what's the benefit? What's the advantage of watching, watching those games? Uh, you mean? So to, to me, the way that the league is structured is fundamentally flawed. What the league, I think, should do is basically could do a, a Western Conference and an Eastern Conference and have, you mean, a f- first place in, in each of those conferences, there's something to play for, to try and see who actually finishes in first place. And then uh, after you f- have the Western Conference winner and the Eastern Conference winner who receive trophies, uh, basically then you have kind of a maybe a MLS Cup, which is one match between those two teams to see, okay, who is the eventual MLS Cup champion. Um, but the Western Conference, I mean, you mean, against the Eastern Conference. And maybe then for the, the, the All-Star Games, is you play up the Western All-Star team against the Eastern All-Star team instead of another failed experiment, getting all these clubs, whether it's Real Madrid or Arsenal or Man United or Bayern Munich, you go long, down the list, like, that, again, have had little to no impact on TV ratings. Yeah, I, I also wonder, though, then, there'll be so many meaningless games in, in, if, if you do that, I, I think regionalization is key. That was another thing I, I forgot to mention, and I, I, I'm advocating that at the lower division level, that we, we do away with NASL and USL as national leagues. And, and maybe you have national championships in second division and third division and whatever, but that you don't you don't have a national league because this country this, – this isn't England. This country is huge. Uh, and when you include Canadian teams, and then it's even – it's twice the size. So um, that I think is important. I think uh, another point you made – that I feel needs to be addressed is the fact that you have, and this goes back to my experience dealing with Orlando fans, that um, there is no context to other games in the league and how it impacts Orlando. So they don't, they're not motivated to watch New York Red Bulls against Kansas City, against Sporting Kansas City, because to them, it, it doesn't really impact them, even though it, it might technically impact their decision in the playoffs or whether they make the playoffs. But there's just no... There's no interest, whereas there's always um, something going on in terms of Champions League spots or Europa League spots or relegation or what have you that motivates fans of one team, one Premier League team, one Bundesliga team, one La Liga team to watch games involving another. Now, maybe it's also that they're going to root against their rival, but it's all of that stuff that MLS doesn't have that context. And uh, 
uh, maybe Seattle fans tuned into to root against Portland uh, and, and vice versa. But th- those are the exceptions. I mean, I can just tell you from from experiencing with other MLS fans, they generally don't care about what's going on with other clubs. And and the other thing too about the playoffs too, which which I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind scrapping the whole playoff thing. But if they did keep the playoffs. Why have it on at the worst possible time in the entire calendar year, having it on, I mean, slap up against the NFL games on the Sundays. You've got the busiest time. You've got the World Series. You've got so much going on from September through to December. And you have the games, the biggest games of the season on during those times when, I mean, most average sports fans have got a lot of choices, even more choices to watch during those those times. And we, we know from experience in terms of how big NFL Sundays are, whether you partake in them or not. But, you mean, people having parties and, and watching games at restaurants and Buffalo Wild Wings and all these different places. It's the biggest, it's a huge thing in the United States. And then Major League Soccer decides, okay, we're going to have playoff games on these Sundays throughout, throughout uh, this calendar and, and hope for great ratings, which they're not getting great ratings. That's the thing about the playoff games. Yes, last year especially, there were some really exciting playoff games but they're not getting major TV ratings. So when you're putting your best foot forward, putting all the focus on trying to have these MLS playoffs be kind of the pinnacle of of the season, kind of the highlight of the season, going into the MLS Cup final, those numbers aren't great either. So there's something fundamentally wrong. And and maybe maybe having the Western Conference and Eastern Conference and having, I mean, kind of the first-place winners go through to a final, maybe that isn't the best way to set it up. Maybe there's a... A variation of that that makes it more competitive for the teams to finish second, third, fourth um, in each of those conferences. But at least there's something to play for. Um, without Pro Rel, that you don't get. You mean those bottom three teams or bottom four teams? You don't get that kind of. Um, you mean and, uh, excitement in terms of just trying to avoid that uh, pain and anger, you, uh, uh, agony really. But but there's got to be a better way to set it up. And and it seems that Major League Soccer is so focused on expansion that they're not fixing the fundamental flaws. And, and I think that's why, as a result, I was surprised, Kartik, by how much, how much feedback you got from people saying, okay, this is why I don't watch Major League Soccer for these reasons, and this is what, what they should do to fix it. I was shocked by how many people were uh, giving us the feedback and giving input on that. Yeah, yeah that was pretty telling. I mean, there were, um, and I, I was worried about just kind of the, the, the pro-rel crowd hijacking the thread, but it didn't happen that way. There was a lot of intelligent commentary about just the fundamental structure of the competition and the relevance of matches and the um, time slots and, and, and why the playoffs wind up against the NFL. If, uh, if you go August to May, like most leagues in the world do, now, of course, there, there are weather issues in, in significant portions of the United States and Canada, and it gets a lot colder. Uh, people who think that it's, it gets cold in, in England, um, people from Florida who think it gets cold in England, they've never been to to Boston in, in, in December or Chicago in, in February. So there are those issues, right, that you have to work around. But um, finishing your season up against American football is, uh, is a disaster. We see the ratings begin to tank every season once the NFL and college football kick off. We go through it every single season, Chris, and you and I have talked about it on, on World Soccer Talk for a decade about – the television ratings for MLS really kind of declining and interest 
declining. And then there's a slight uptick in certain markets during the playoffs. But in other markets, they don't even sell as many tickets as, uh, for a playoff game as they do for an average regular season game because of the timing and because of the, the shortness of notice and, and that sort of stuff. So um, I'm not quite sure why they're wed to this calendar. Uh, I should go back to the to this entire uh, discussion that I think that part of the problem with Major League Soccer's level of play, as people interpret it, is that you're playing in the hottest months of the year in in um, and you have a significant significant portion of your season in those hottest months. So games in Dallas, Houston, Orlando, uh, DC are very difficult in the summer. Uh, Atlanta is indoors, but um, those four venues very difficult in the summer months, mm-hmm. and uh, it can get balmy in New York and Philly and, and um, Foxborough. Uh, New England as well. So that's um, that's a big part of it is, is the calendar alignment. And I, for years, have advocated realigning the calendar of the United States. I think um, for those of us in the southeast, eastern United States, um, and, I, I, and I have this experience of having worked for NASL and having to deal with, uh, for the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, Tampa Bay Rowdies, and Car- uh, Carolina Railhawks and Atlanta Silverbacks, four teams we had in the southeast that played outdoors, numerous thunderstorm delays um constant almost um in fact one season fort lauderdale of their of their 30 games uh 13 of them were somehow affected by weather in in some regard so either a postponement or a delay in the middle of the game so you have those sorts of uh considerations in the southeast that um make it very difficult for fans to get engaged in the sport and even know if the game is going to start and end on time you don't have that with with games from europe you just don't Right. Now, that's not that's unfortunate because it's a weather situation in the United States that they don't have in Europe. But it also relates to when they play the matches and when um, the calendars align. So I think that that's these are little things they could do to fix the competition. Will they discernibly improve TV ratings? I'm at the point of thinking they probably won't, but maybe they build the blocks to where long term you will. Yeah, and, and just a couple more things to the, on this one, Kartik, before we kind of uh, finish this one. But, I mean, Fox... ESPN and Univision has been putting in a huge amount of promotion to this league um, in terms of um, whether it's promo ads, uh, whether it's, I mean, any Bundesliga pro- program at this point or any broadcast has, okay, hey, coming up this weekend, it's Major League Soccer. So it's not for any lack of trying. I mean, they're, they're trying, the broadcasters are trying. Um, and, and we're seeing that, though. We're seeing that, that there are, the people aren't tuning in. And, and I think it seems to be that no one's really kind of tackling that issue or they're trying to ignore it or they're just, you mean, you mean the major league soccer fans don't seem to kind of want to talk about it. Uh, everyone else has kind of pretty much given up on the league. It seems in terms of TV, unless it's some big game that they'll tune in to, or maybe it's the playoffs. Um, and we're kind of caught right in the middle of this where it's like, we'd like to see the league grow. And I think it gets worse as we add more expansion teams. I think, yes, it's great to have all these expansion teams in Los Angeles and Atlanta, um, et cetera. Um, it's really exciting, but it doesn't fix the TV ratings issue. And, and maybe Major League Soccer is so focused on expansion that when they do get to a point, maybe then at that point, then they'll uh, have some master plan of how, how to fix this. But that could be a few years down the road. And by that point, we've seen how La Liga's numbers are increasing on being sports. And if they got on to Turner Sports or, I don't know, a, a national over-the-air broadcaster, those numbers would go through the roof. So, I don't know, it's just, it's, it just seems to be a really stubborn approach for Major League Soccer um, in terms of this. And this is one of those numbers that they can't 
change. They can't hide behind. Uh, they can inflate attendance numbers, or they can, you mean, look at the number of tickets distributed rather than the number of seats actually uh, people in the seats in the stadium. But TV ratings is one of the few things that they can't change. They can't manipulate these numbers. They are what they are. And they tell us that there's an issue here. There's people are not watching Major League Soccer in droves, and it's not really increasing uh, incrementally, yes, small numbers year by year, small, 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 but not like other leagues. Kartik, any, any final thoughts before we uh, head out of here? No, I think we've pretty much covered everything, and it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but it's a reality of where we are with, uh, with MLS today. Yeah, well, hopefully things will change. Hopefully people will, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully Major League Soccer has, has a plan, so we'll have to wait and see on that one. I don't know. I, I kind of think that they don't. That, that's the feeling I, I'm getting. But um, So Kartik listeners can find you on uh, Twitter at KKFLA737. So definitely hit, that is correct. hit Kartik up there if you have any questions or feedback, as well as uh, WSoccerTalk uh, for WillSoccerTalk.com. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening. It's, it's been a long show this year, uh, this this one, but uh, hopefully it's been worth it. Uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every ep- episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audio Boom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. And if you like the show, uh, share it with your friends on social media and uh, give us a review. We'd appreciate it. Kartik, over to you, sir. Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.